Hello and welcome to the See For Yourself podcast, the podcast of wild speculations and movie examinations. I am your host for today, your host for today. Uh, I am joined uh, by my fellow compatriots. Uh, I'm your mother from the year 1998. Yes, with a collective of 1998 mothers, all Mm -hmm. in one individual. Love it. Uh, I'm the best version of myself so far. God fucking bless. If only (laughs) only we could all be so lucky. (laughs) Do uh do do we have a film for today? I, I'm not the person who's brought this film, so that's gonna... right. This is me. This is me doing the me thing, and as you'll catch on eventually, like I have a certain taste, certain collection of skills, you might say, um, which is to say, no taste at all, at all. <laughs> uh, we're watching a very Brady sequel. Okay, well I'm gonna go ahead and put that in, and we're gonna find a little blurb for this. Thank you for bringing this to us. I know you said that you have seen it. I have. This is a this is a childhood favorite. I've watched this on repeat when I was a kid. Wonderful, fun movie. I did not watch the first one, and I don't know if it's just because we didn't own it. Maybe it wasn't as good. I don't know anything about it. I know nothing about this movie. Yeah, crack it off. So we'll just crack this one out, and it is the trusting and anachronistic. 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 I'm unfamiliar with that word. First version yourself. Brady family gets a harsh jolt of 1990s reality when scheming con artist Trevor Thompson shows up uh, at their home claiming that he's the long-missing first husband of Brady matriarch Carol. Her real husband, good-natured Mike, is none too happy about their house guest. The Brady kids eventually catch wind of the deception, leading to an antic-filled excursion to Hawaii when the imposter steals a prized family possession. Okay. The longest blurb we've had on here. Again, I'm going in blind, so I read the whole thing. No, that's fine. Do you think that revealed, like, the whole movie to you? That's basically the movie. I, okay. It's not. I will I will say that that did feel like a large, sweeping sort of thing of the plot, but I do want to point out of all the cons I've heard of in fam or in, in, in like film history uh, revolving around family members or something like that, this is one of the more interesting ones. The little out there, I'm your ex-husband. I, it makes me think of uh, you remember the Adams family, the first one? Yeah. Where uh, Fester, right? Fester had Fester's gone missing. Lost his memory. Yeah, he had gone missing in the Bermuda Triangle, and he returns, but he's it's not him. It's supposed to be someone who kind of looked like him. It's a con, but then it turns out to actually be him, quote unquote. I don't know if they ever like what it proved it definitively or not they're just like you're actually him and he's like yeah why not and I'm like what a film right. so I think of that immediately that's the con in my head for like if we're gonna do like a family con that's the one I think of not I am your first husband I didn't even know that was a thing in the Brady Bunch I thought this was supposed to be a like family that has like no this is uh this is a this is, they met each other after their previous that that's in the song you see uh, it's a, it's oh, a I story I never caught that never caught it's that. a story about a man named Brady mm-hmm. uh, married with three boys of his own yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yes. Yeah. So, so, they, so these are, the daughters come from the mother's previous marriages, the boys come from the father's previous marriages. I never caught that. This just should tell you how into the Brady Bunch I was at a young age. <laughs> almost never watched it. To be fair, it's not something that comes up, like at no point do they, it's almost like a given throughout the series is that like, and then they have a family of their own. It's in the song itself. And then this is the family. At no point do they like... He's not my daughters. I'm not going to raise them as good as my sons. Like, that's never come up because yeah, it, this it, is a wholesome family. It felt like a very well interconnected family. There wasn't, that tension didn't seem to come up in any of the episodes I've right. ever seen. Where it's, it's like, yeah, it's not, it's not a common plot line. You're not my real dad. Please, please let somebody in this film say you're not my real dad. I'm going to go ahead and put, I'm going to put it on that that somebody says you're not my real dad. That would be great. Oh, God, I would love that. 
So, so speaking of uh, you growing up with the Brady Bunch or the lack thereof, mm-hmm. maybe we can even talk about that era of family sitcom television. Sure. And like, uh, there's tropes in there. There's uh, you know morals to be learned and all that stuff. Do you think? Do you think we're gonna touch on any of that? Like, do you think it's gonna be very like in your face, ham fisted? We're gonna teach a moral here. So the the family sitcom specifically. Uh, when I think of that, I do not think of the Brady Bunch, which is weird because I feel like that's the big popular. That's one. the one. Yeah. Yeah. I think of like uh, uh, Dennis the Menace. Leave it to um, Beaver. Yeah, Leave it to Beaver, Dennis the Menace, those character sure. like, archetypes, where like the focus was on one person in the family, but not on the family as a whole. And then like after that, I think of because uh, the one that I watched probably the most of was uh, Malcolm in the Middle, sure, yeah. which is like the in my mind that's the ultimate family sitcom. That's definitely that's closer to the Brady Bunch than like Leave It to Beaver, where it's really like child has antics and then everybody else is kind of like a bit character yeah they have to um, put up with it basically yeah and they have their own they have they don't really have a personality so much as they have a catchphrase um that's always shouted out at um but yeah i think knock in the middle is close to this where everybody has their own shit going on that we touch on in various episodes yeah there it never felt like any character was just sort of tacked on even what's his name it's not, is it stevie the the youngest brother of the malcolm okay i don't know his name sure it's huey or something like that. Yeah, uh, he, uh, even he, like, maybe not at the very beginning of Malcolm in the Middle, but as the show went on, he developed a lot more of a character and a lot more of his own personality, and everybody seemed to have their own character and their own personality, and it was just sort of focused on Malcolm. You're also watching, in Malcolm in the Middle, as an example, you're watching an actor literally grow before your eyes. That's so, true. And then for me, too, like, growing up, I watched a lot of The Brady Bunch, like, with my grandmother, so that's my, like, family sitcom kind of thing. And then I also watched a lot of Full House, which is really similar. Another one, I just, I know it's, like, a really popular, really big one. I didn't watch any of them. See, those are the two that I've seen. They tried to uh, reignite it with, like, a new one, and it's not as good. Obviously not. um, Have you seen Bob Saget's stand-up? Yeah, yeah, I've seen his actual stand-up. It's filthy. Trash is what it is. Um, And so that was jarring for me, because when you grow up with Bob Saget, when you grow up with Full House, and Bob Saget is the family The wholesome father character, yeah. And then for him to be like, now slap you onto his cock, and you'll be cock-eyed, and I'm like... Bob Sagan, why? No, 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 no. You're supposed to tell me that, like, I tried my best and that's what matters. <laughs> and then you display um, my prominent second place ribbon on the wall. Yeah, yeah. Because you're proud of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, all those, uh, so, so there's tropes that go up in those things. I do think that the one that I, I remember the most is, like, the, uh, I, I, maybe this is just a, a product of Malcolm in the Middle being my most prominent, but, like, sure. specifically the concept of, like, the main character fucks up and thinks that he's going to get in a lot of trouble for fucking up. Like, so Malcolm does this, and then he goes out of his way and gets into antics trying to cover up his mistake or hide it from his parents, and then when the parents find out and, like, things kind of blow up, you know, in his face or whatever, what what typically happens is big, like, showy sort of like, oh, you fucked up and I'm mad at you, and that's what the character's thinking is going to happen. So we either get that or we sort of subvert that expectation and we go into a situation where the parents are like, no, you didn't do anything wrong here everyone else is at fault and we're here to like devastatingly like bring wrath upon them and like defend you like in the the craziest way humanly possible right um, and I think that's very much like a product of Malcolm in the Middle. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, maybe that wasn't as much a thing back then. I don't the think day. it was as much of a thing, especially in these early ones like Leave it to Beaver. Like, typically there'd be a point where the father figure has recognized you've done something wrong and sits you down, take a seat, champ, and let me explain to you the moral you were supposed to learn from this episode. Yeah. That's usually that's usually how it goes. That's the comeuppance of it. And, like, I think that that was very much Malcolm in the Middle trying to do, like, what is very much the modern thing at the time, probably, for, like, helicopter parents to sort of, like, right. no, my kid can do no wrong, da-da-da-da-da. Right. 
you know, or, and but like still very much go home and tell them, hey, you know you fucked up, you're a big fuck up for this. So that, that was like the, the through line that Malcolm in the Middle sort of followed, where it's like, hey, you're a, you're, you, you did wrong, but I'm not going to let people bully my kid, not even other parents, like that's not going to fly. Whereas like these older shows, I think it probably would be more appropriate for them to just be like, all right, kid, I'm trying to teach parents nowadays that they don't have to hit you to get you to learn a lesson. They can just talk to you to get you to learn a lesson. And that was the big liberal move here. Like, why isn't he just smacking uh, uh, Beaver around? Right. You know, and it's, no, no, we're trying to teach parents that it's okay to just sit them down and say, hey, you're not supposed to cheat on your tests. You know why that's wrong, and I'll explain it to you. And really what they're doing is teaching the audience, like, no, you have to talk to your kids to get them. And what Malcolm in the Middle might have been doing was, like, you can defend your kid, too. You don't have to just sub right. them up river, and, and, like, they're going to want to come forward to you if they don't think you're going to freak out on them for it, you know? And that might have been the, the cool liberal thing that they were doing then, you know? So I, I, I guess, like, uh, I'm hoping that they'll do a cool thing like that where the kids are like, we fucked up, and, you know, they'll have that little silly antics thing. I think you're probably right. They'll probably resolve that by having them sit down and go... Well, look here, Squirt. Can't be going around uh, telling girls that they're pretty. You gotta pick one special gal. And, like, you know, that's the moral that they're trying to get across by sure. full-on explaining it to the camera. <laughs> God, what else? So so since this is a movie I picked, I definitely thought about, like, what are the questions to ask? What, how do I lead the questions? Anyways, Brady Bunch is like a 70s thing, mm-hmm. pretty much. What does that evoke in you? Like, what, is, what does the 70s bring up, especially maybe not in the TV, but maybe in pop culture at the time? Most of my education on 70s culture has been brought on to me by that 70s show. That's fair. <laughs> as as that's, a show I've watched a lot of. Honestly, that is very fair. Uh, and I think they're very much lampooning a lot of the, the 70s culture stuff. And yes. that's... Uh, that, that kind of gives me a distorted view of it a little bit. Um, but I do think that, like, so 70s would be, like, uh, if I had to be as critical about this as I could, like, this would be sort of that, like, sex and drugs sort of era. Okay. And uh, I imagine it would be some of the people sort of like, oh, hey, this is a new idea. That's one thing I'm, I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that somebody will present a new idea to the family. Maybe like, oh, hey, I listen to this type of music or I'm dressing in this sort of fashion or something. Maybe some people are cooler about it than others. Like the mom is like, of course, you can dress however you want. Marcia. Or, or oldest brother of the of sure. the sons. And then the dad <laughs> is like, no, you can't dress however you want because I'm the father figure and I come down with the, with the rules and whatnot. I'd like to see something like that. I think okay. that's kind of a cool thing that could be explored of a 70s culture where like new things are coming out and like people are like okay with like certain things that you would think, okay, yeah, I can, my dad likes cool music. I'll show him this cool music. And then he's like, whoa, this is all too much fast and loud, and music's supposed to be like this. I feel like music from the 60s, like my dad listened to. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, I listen to I listen to classic like twenties country music and now my kid is trying to get me into rock and roll. Oh no. You know, that kind of that kind of thing. Cool. Uh, I, I like that idea as a thing that could be explored in this film. I keep trying to think of like this con. Why would you even why would you even like if a, if a guy came to your house and he's like, hey, I'm the husband from your last marriage. Right. And you're just kind of like, yeah, okay, I, I'll believe that. Well, think about Why this. Why would you have him, like, live in your house, though? Like, come and stay with you? I mean, that's a good point. I mean, this is, this is the epitome of wholesome family. The Brady right. Bunch is the most wholesome family, and they're timeless. Like, second only to God in their patience. And, exactly. Yeah. They are, the, the father teaches you how to be a man. Like, like the you are it's teaching you how to be the manly paternal figure and in every lesson he teaches that's that's what he's trying to be and you help much like Jesus helped the downtrodden uh Tom Brady 
Not Tom Brady. I don't know what his name is. Oh, Mike. Mike Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Brady's Jesus, by the way. <laughs> um, if one of the Brady sons is named Mike, I'm gonna or is named Tom, I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Mike Brady was Jesus teaching Jesus's teachings. Sure, that's what it was. He's the goat of fatherhood. He's the goat of fatherhood. At least for his time. That's, yeah, that's for sure. I, every every familial sitcom is either trying to capitalize on what the Brady Bunch did, because I really do feel like they were the first ones, to, this was the first show that really went so hard on it, or they're subverting the Brady Bunch. I think Mal- Malcolm in the Middle is very much like all those things that made the Brady Bunch funny because we took it as rope. Uh, what if we just spun that on its head? Yeah. Because so the Malcolm of, family, they're not very wholesome. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they're, they're very much. It, it played as much on like, what if the Brady Bunch was as dysfunctional as a real American family? That's the thing. Where the Brady Bunch is idealistic, Malcolm in the Middle is realistic. Yes. They are trying to be true to the fact. I think most people, especially people who grew up in like the '90s era, can say, "Yeah, that was." Pretty much how it rolled out. Yeah. Whereas, uh, whereas, like this came from a, a time. The Brady Bunch comes from a time where it's like, God, you know, maybe after the Depression or something like that, where it's like, yeah, and uh, I got the shit beat out of me until I was no longer hungry, and then we had enough to feed everybody else. And it's like, and then they're like, hey, you probably shouldn't do that anymore. Look at this wholesome family of thirteen. So that would have been another thing to consider is that the the seventies would have been a time of like good money, good jobs, like, everybody's doing pretty well and has an excess of, like, wealth to, like, spend on dumb shit. Even the bit about them, like, traveling to Hawaii to catch this con man, I feel like will play into the the aspect of this that is, like, you can be idealistic in a time when everybody doesn't have, like, most people have, like, a lot of extra money, a lot of extra, like, they have opportunities, they're doing well. It's not like inflation isn't crushing them or anything. They're doing good. They have a lot of money, they're doing well. You can be idealistic in that sense because everyone is doing well and they're like, yeah, we can treat each other good because, you know, I've got the money, I've got the house, the car, I'm doing good. Basically the American dream. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. I don't actually remember if Carol Brady had a job in this. I don't remember it really well. Um, oh, I, I could very much imagine a situation. I'd be surprised if she did. Mm-hmm. I, I don't this, this is very much well. the, the, the man had a good enough job to support his six kids and his wife's shopping habit. No. I also want to point out that um, their family dynamic would have been highly unusual for the time and probably like frowned upon. You didn't divorce. Oh, so that's a that's a good thing too. Uh, and I know that this probably won't be discussed, but you, you pointed it out and I'm like, yeah, that's, that is kind of a very special thing that... Uh, Brady Bunch did where they're like these are two divorced people who found each other and love each other's family and don't look at this as like a big burden or anything they're like wow cool I have I'm divorced and I have my family you're divorced you have your family let's smash them together and have a good time specifically it's a it's a boon it's a benefit it's a it's a great thing right at at, at no point in time are they like uh, now so and so my I don't think they bring up um, it, very often in the show and like that's why this is such wild antics in the movie is because the the exes come out of the woodwork like they don't it's very much like uh what they tell the story in the song at the beginning of the the tv show and then it's like and now we're just a big family now we operate as a normal family and like you're right like people have baggage they have things that come with if you have had a divorce there are things that you're going to be like kind of specifically a little odd about or a little touchy about or you know and that's normal that's not a bad thing but it is weird that this the show, Brady Bunch, as I understand it, of the few episodes I've ever even seen, it didn't seem like they brought up, like, hey, it's going to be really tough marrying a woman with three kids because now I have to, right. you know, basically double all my expenses, effectively. Well, that's that's a lot of how um, 
that's something that people do struggle with realistically, where they're like, I'd love to adopt, but will I love him as much as the son I already have? They bring that up in Malcolm in the Middle all the time, where they're like, Hal will be like, oh, hey, I want to have the sexual relations with you. Uh, oh, God, I can't remember the wife's name. It's Hal and uh, the mom. I can't sure. remember. The, but, the mom from 1980. We're in that. <laughs> yeah, that's me, that. yeah. It's me, it's you. Yeah. Um, but, like, he'll be asking her for sex that night, and she'll literally bring up that, like, okay, but we can't have another kid. We don't not want another Dewey. It's Dewey, not Huey. Dewey. Dewey. We can't have another Dewey. They'll, like, make that joke, and they'll, like, point that out. But it's because it's re- that's a real thing. A lot of families will be like, we had one of our kids as an accident. We can't do that again because finances are so bad right now. And that's something that Malcolm in the Middle would talk about, but Brady Bunch is like, no, 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 no. Everything's good and fine and happy, and we're living in a time of, like, outstanding, like, positive financial excellence. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. and Mrs. Brady had two separate beds. (laughs) Oh, the beds that are beside each other? They're like, we're going to push them to go back to nighttime. It it is incredibly bold of you to assume that they'd even show us the bedroom in the first place. I know. A lot of the times, these older shows are like, whoa, whoa, whoa we can't follow them into their bedroom. That's their really? sacred place. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. We've seen it so much now in modern stuff, but, like, you know that Alfred Hitchcock made movies in, like, the 50s and 60s, basically. Like, that's where a lot of his stuff comes from. Right. And he was the first person to show a toilet. Right. No, I'm just, I'm trying to think back, because I remember watching Miracle on 34th Street, and these were not a married couple, but the man and the man who said he was Santa Claus, like, he had two beds in his room. His guest slept in his room. So it was very, very weird, very, 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 very weird to like show that back then. So I don't know. Maybe Brady Bunch is just just outside of that, and maybe they will, but maybe not. And not because it's not something that you could show, but just because it was considered kind of taboo. Or like, ooh. So this movie came out, and uh, you probably have it in front of you. I want to say 1998. Oh, yeah. Let me pull that up really quick. Let's see where I'm from. Yes. You, you <laughs> clearly picked that. <laughs> Carol Brady. I remember when this movie first came out uh, two months ago. Yes. I love it. <laughs> 96. 96. Two, right, years, so two years ago. I loved it. <laughs> Do you think that they're going to just snatch and grab the 70s formula, stick it into the future? Do you think that they're going to even mention that this is in 1998? Or uh, do you think that they're going to modernize the family in some way? I do not think that they're trying to modernize the family. A lot of these shows are like, hey, we built this on 70s culture. We're going to keep it that way forever. Sort of like, you know, movie magic or, or TV magic sure. or whatever. You know, just they're sort of stuck in that. It's the 70s So for do you think this is, this is in the 70s? Yeah, I think it's going to be set in the same sort of time frame or like the ambiguously same time frame as the original. Sort of uh, got pointed out by every single mother from the 1990s. Yes. Uh, she said that uh, with Malcolm in the Middle, you got to kind of grow with the character, and every year Malcolm clearly got older, and they clearly advanced in time. Right. They didn't just say like it could be any year this year. Like no, they were clearly like Malcolm's now in middle school, Malcolm's now in high school, and they advanced the household accordingly. Okay. Um, in one of the earliest episodes, uh, they're like <laughs> they they talk about how. Uh, Dewey said that he got to the final boss in Mortal Kombat and got to the final. He said he beat the final boss in Mortal Kombat. And uh, Hal responds by saying, that's impossible. No way. Nobody beats Sub-Zero. <laughs> and like, for the record, the final boss in the first Mortal Kombat game is not Sub-Zero. But Hal as a dad doesn't have a lot of time to play these games. So he probably thinks 
Some zero is the final boss. Because that would be... That was, like, the first boss? No, no, the first, like, character where the, like, the difficulty clearly spikes a little bit. Okay. Is Sub-Zero. He can't get past that one. He just can't get past it. Fair enough. And that joke is so good, but, like, as the show goes on, they get different gaming consoles, and you can tell that, like, they've advanced They, they have gone through the years. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that this show will do that, or this movie will do that. I think that it will very much just be, we're in the ambiguous 70s time frame. Right. It's Who's 70s all the way through to 2020s. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're going to just keep having them stuck in that time. And I, I don't hate that. I don't think it's the worst sure. way to do it. I just think that this is kind of, like, maybe a product of the thinking style of the time, or maybe it is just, like, their artistic choice. Like, there's, ah, let's just keep it that way. Right. This is the intellectual property which resides in the 70s. Like, yeah. we're not going to have the Brady's in space. Like yeah. The Flintstones never got to the point where they were like, oh, we've been making Flintstones for 50 years now. we got to advance them 50 years now. Right. That is, we are... Actually, strictly uh, over time here. We have been Certainly. doing this for too damn long, uh, but we are going to go ahead and cut it there. Does anybody have anything that they want to add before we move on to actually watching the movie and then coming back and talking God, about it? God, I am twirling my mustache right now because this is just... Uh, God, I've never felt so in power. Here. <laughs> I've never been like, I ask you a question and you answer me and I was like, you fool. <laughs> You're just sitting there like, fool. <laughs> you, you done fucked up. <laughs> I've activated my trap card. You're wrong as shit. That's all it is, man. God, I cannot wait. 1,500 attack points. We're going to close this, walk over to the TV, and I'm going to tell you every reason why you were wrong. <laughs> okay, well, we'll save it for when we get back, and then you can slam me, slam me with it. Um, we're we're going to... Miss 1998? I have seen the movie. Oh, you have? I, I thought I you have. Were... I have. No, no, we, I made her watch year, it. I want to reiterate that um, the best version of himself really likes this movie. Okay, okay. Well, well, I look forward to loving it just as you like it, I'll love it. We are back from a very Brady sequel, and uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, everybody has a bajillion fucking things to say about it. You fools! You are fool alone. Oh god, what a good movie. So I feel like I'm half right on the, they're stuck in the 70s, like no matter what, forever. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of in there that... It's sort of like a, a very meta joke that like, hey, these people are really into the 70s. That's weird. Well, that well, that's the bit. It's like um, the idea of the Bradys is constantly in the 70s. Mm-hmm. This whole movie is kind of a meta. Um, they, they realize what it is that, that makes the Bradys the Bradys and have riffed on it the entire movie. Because I do feel like that's a natural question one might have is like, okay, well, we're going to make a Brady movie or we're going to make a sequel to a Brady movie, but we're going to specifically set it in you know, the year that the movie comes out, how do we reconcile that? Yeah. And the answer kind of has to be either A, the characters are aged up and we sort of pretend that this is like what they would be like in the, in the 90s, or we just don't do that at all. They definitely chose one in its entirety. Yeah. Yeah. They, they very much did not age the characters up. They did not have the characters change with the times at all. They were like, yep, we are 70s people. We're going to be 70s until the day we die. They, they get that out of the way really quick. It's like... Gonna have to get up pretty early to fool Mr. Brady. Cable. What a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. So I told you I figured out why there's so much sex in this movie, and I think I have the answer. Oh, tell me, please. It's kind of I, I kind of went over it before we got into the pop like in the in the introduction portion of this so that's interesting the adams family came out in 1991 oh and that was a distinct portion of the comedy and the like excitement surrounding it was that gomez and morticia are specifically very sexually interested interest in away from fucking each other in every scene they're in yeah and that was like specifically part of the their character part of the writing process 
and it's, it's it's almost not even a joke. They're like kind of playing it straight, and it just comes off kind of funny. Maybe because before that, like that didn't really happen a whole lot. And and, and so what you're saying is a very very sequel had to one up it by having the the siblings fuck each other. I don't know if that's why, but I do think that that might be why the the Carol is like so outwardly saying things like I know I have something that I'd like you to be inside for a long time, and it's like Miss, I know Miss something Brady. I'd like to get a grip on, Mister Brady. I know if they checked the fingerprints on something, they'd find mine all over it, and it's like there's a whole portion of this film dedicated to Mr. Brady saying, hey, don't use foul language in front of my children. Now I'm going to kick this guy's ass for that. And for no other reason than using foul language. And at no point, maybe, you know what? That's probably, that, that's the final sex joke. He's saying, I'm, I whoop someone's ass for using foul language in front of my children. And Miss Brady's like, foul language in front of the children. And he's like, well, you know what this means, Miss Brady. <laughs> and, and she's like, oh, I absolutely do. I was expecting it. Hoping. So yeah, everything's a riff. I love the musical scene in the middle where... The, the two musicals. We get two musicals. We did get two musicals. And in both senses, they treat it as the most normal thing ever. Because in the 70s, in the Brady Bunch, it was. And everybody else is like, what's with these fuckheads? Dance, dancing around on the plane or dancing around in the in the broad... In the, 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 the like shopping mall or whatever that yeah. they were at. Most people completely ignored them. There was like almost no go-between there. Right, but Roy Roy's sitting there like... Yes, Roy is the character who's shit. like... This is, I'm, but like a lot of that was played for the plot. Like he wants to get home to get the horse. It felt like in a, in, in a, in a musical film, that would be a thing that would happen where one of the characters is like, I've got to do plot things right now. And everyone else is like, but we're doing a musical number. I think it was more like, because he riffs on it all the time where he's like, get yourself to the gap or something. What is with this shit? And then they go to Shanana's yeah, in clothing. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't, uh, I can't act like I don't love my kids. And my kids are going to do this bullshit musical in the middle of the strip mall. Guess I got to fucking do that. Yeah. I get that too. But I, I very much took it as like, this is just standard fare for a musical. Like in, a, in any given musical, that's a common thing where one of the characters in the musical number is kind of just like, I don't want to be here for plot reasons. And I'm trying to like get away from it for plot purposes. Right. I, I did like how in the second musical number, they're like, please, please stop. Sit down. You're, you're in an airplane in the 1990s. You, you need to sit down. Right. Did, did you like that he had a guitar? Right at his feet. Oh. I mean, so that's another thing that happens in musicals a lot, where the characters just sort of magically, for no reason, happen to have musical instruments to play for them to, like, have musical accompaniment, which plays into, we've talked about this a little bit, uh, diegetic versus non-diegetic music. Right. Is this music that everyone can hear, or is this just music that is sort of, like, ambient, you're supposed to know? People in the scene can't hear the music, it's just... Music that exists for the sake of the movie. It's a, to evoke a feeling or to let you know, like, a certain cues and things like that. So so it's interesting. The first, like, time that they do the musical number, it feels a little bit less like this is music that everybody can hear. And the second time, kind of, they, like, point out, like, if the music isn't something that they can hear, at the very least, they can hear these people singing along to it. <laughs> that was interesting to me. I've, I've seen better uses of, like, the diegetic versus non-diegetic music sort of uh, thing play out, but... Uh, it is, it is fun to have it in here, and it's, it very much plays with all the other jokes in the film very, very well. Do you think, uh, do you think beating a horse to death is, is like, a good uh, move when you're trying to tell a certain story, like, especially the 70s and, like, how dense and naive they are? Because they, you, you mentioned, like, so, the, so they're done with the George Glass thing, right? Surely it's done now that she's been caught with the, uh, the 555hunk.com 555. 
phone phone number not dot com. Oh, no. Right, right. No, they don't have that. But you know what I mean. You're like, you, you I like how they took the time to show us the the spin dial phone. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, mm-hmm. the rotary. It's called a rotary phone, right? And then they went. They took the extra time in the police office to to show that he has a button phone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you're like, uh, it's another done, right? The George Glass through line. Yeah, because she's is done effectively proven without a shadow of doubt that like, hey, the guy you had me talking to was on like a sex hotline, basically. No, and then this brings, isn't happening. This isn't real. She brings a mannequin to that coffee shop. Oh my god, yeah, you're right. That was after that. Jeez, that, that was that was directly after that. That was the next one. Also, also uh, on the incest plot line because woof. Yeah, I I thought you were joking. I really did. I thought you were like overselling it. Like I was like I was playing it up. Like yeah. oh, they make eyes at each other because like ha ha ha, or like because because they're gr- it's a coming of age yeah. story and like you just want no. It is. It happened. What's the they, name? They of didn't that? show it on. On film, but it happened. Well, and they and they and they did show it on film. They had the full blown kiss. At well, the end. all right. So they kissed at the end. We know they fucked. Yeah, we know for like, a historically fact. the actors did that. Yeah, and like, is, is this them trying to like point that out as like a haha? They did that. We know. Are you talking about the actors or like the actors fucked in real life or something like that? Oh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I thought that's what you were referring to. No, no, I'm, t- I'm talking about the fact that like canonically they have fucked. He's in, in the in the lore of in the lore of this movie as a standalone thing because. Oh, tell me, yeah, no, 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 that, that's, I missed that. Oh, yeah, no, that, so because like they're awkward about it the whole time. It's like they're off to the rec center. It's like no fooling around. And like, yeah, yeah. What, what, what do you mean? Because they that that scene because with the curtain between the two. They are fooling around. They fought. It does not imply that they have full on sex. It implies that they did I, I, something. I think, uh, it, no. I think it definitely implies that they're thinking about it. I don't think it implies that they actually did it. Alright, I guess so. I, I'm willing to give you that one. But yeah, they kiss. They, they full on. They kiss twice. Passionately well, kiss. And, and that's, there's something to be said for that. There is like a, a large standing community of people who believe anytime there's a kiss on screen, that equals sexuality. Because that's how it used to have to be. We cannot show people fucking. That would be ridiculous. Certainly simple. not in the Brady Bunch movie. I'm just saying that they had the scene with the chat, with the silhouettes and they're like, yes, Greg. No, absolutely. They are very much trying to push us towards thinking that, push us towards acknowledging that these characters it, have a sexual may, attraction for It may have not fully said that they fuck. It heavily implies. I, I think the reading of any given thing as like, hey, when they heavily imply something, that's enough for me to go off of to say that it happened. That's a perfectly fine reading. I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying that like, one, I did not read it that way. And two, there is a method of filmmaking where you do do that. It's not as if the moment they said, hey, you can have a movie with a sex scene in it. It's not as if the moment that that happened, everybody started doing it. That's not how it happened. Okay. It was very much a slow output of these things. And very much as it was happening, it was sort of like... Uh, that's that's kind of like a French movie, right? No, it's an American movie. What? You know, I'm gonna stand by historically. I don't think anybody did the stepsister porn, stepbrother porn. I don't think they did it before '96. Are you? How familiar are you with the history of porn? I don't. I'm not. Would you like to become more? I would like it if the Brady Bunch pioneered this. Have you ever seen the first pornographic film that exists? You know what? I have not. Probably oh, not. Oh, my sweet summer child. What's in it? Step you know that there, you know that there has to be a, a first one, right? Sure. So what's in the first one? Do they do they not show it? Is that is that the bit you're getting at? No, that's not what I'm getting at. They, uh, it's it's a it's a porn film. They they fuck. They fuck. Yeah, on film. I think they literally fuck. It's not even like they're fucking. Oh okay. Yeah. All right. What's what's the bit? What's the? Uh... I'll tell you the entire plot of because the, there's a plot. Oh, there's a plot. Oh, well, let me assure you, there's a well, plot. The, and it's not as they far go to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as far removed as you might think from like modern porn. Okay. So the plot is basically there are these two girls standing on the side of the road, and they're waving down vehicles that are driving by. Oh. One vehicle stops. The guy in it is like, he's, he's mouthing to them because it's a silent film. That's phenomenal. Yes, of course. 
Oh, can you imagine silent pornville? What a what a world. They have a whole scene and it's like uh, 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 uh. Yeah, yeah. So he's, you know, silently mouthing off to them. And then the card comes up and it's like, hey, come on in. I'll, I'll give you a ride. They get in the vehicle, drive for some amount of time, stop the vehicle. Guy gets out of the vehicle, says, hey, wait here. I have to use the restroom. Walks to the side of the road. They're just on like this dirt road, basically. Walks to the side of the road, disappears off scene. The girls sort of whisper to each other. Doesn't tell you what they're saying. Because, you know, I guess they're women. We don't care what they're saying. I of guess. course not. They don't get lines. I don't know. They... Follow him and watch him urinate him. They show you this happening. They show him urinating. They show his cock with the piss coming out of it. They show them watching and sort of giggling along. He turns around and sees them. They come over, start taking their clothes off, kiss him, go straight into the sex very rapidly. There's not a whole lot of kissing. And then one of the girls starts peeing. And he's watching that and having sex with the other one. This is a pretty, for me, when I'm imagining the first porn ever, I'm imagining very much like... You know, these are, you know, 1920s or something. They take the clothes off and they get into bed as God intended and they fuck. Yeah, and, and they don't fuck, no. They they very slowly and methodically make a baby. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. And then afterwards they open up their Bibles and read a few Psalms. <laughs> that's what I'm imagining. And to see this, you know, I'm just like... Wow. The fact that the first porn in existence was a water sports fetish. Absolutely, yes. And and also, like, a having sex with a complete stranger and you know, that, that whole thing. Uh, and, and a three-way, too. Like, the other girl gets in there. No, no, that's all tame. It's the fact that they pissed in front of each other. Well, I mean, I think that would be pretty... In, in my imagining of, like, the 1920s, I'm not over here like, these people are all having three-ways. But, like, we do that to, to the past. We imagine it's, it's more, more it wholesome was. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, yeah, for for them to for them to do that. Good. Um, I guess in the in the in the point of sex and sexuality, worse than it was because we're just imagining they're like they're old people. They're all just having sex in a very tame and right. You know, God fearing way. What's the movie where um God they 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 make a riff on this where it's like they the the two the actor and the actress are wearing a full body a full body condom. They're basically in hazmat suits with, with a connector and like that's the that's the bit. I don't remember. I vaguely remember this from a movie. I got nothing for you. For really? some reason, when you're describing this, I'm thinking of the movie Evolution. Did you ever watch that one? It's definitely not that, um, but I haven't seen it. It's a very funny film, and uh, it's, it's there's like a scene where they go and like they don't have sex in the hazmat suits or anything, but there's like a very funny scene with hazmat suits. It's, you it's you go movie. on. I, I need to find this movie. But yeah, I, don't know. I definitely think they fucked. I think that their awkwardness is very much that they fucked. But they, maybe they didn't fuck. But the kiss. This is this is another one of those things. Passionate kiss. We we talk about this in, in another podcast episode where uh, what does a movie have to explicitly show you, and what is it okay for them to just imply, and you get it. You know. Right. What are the things that need to be said? Well, speaking, I, I just I want to point out. Speaking of awkwardness, Jan and her fake father made me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, there were a couple scenes of that. That was weird. Okay, listen. Yeah, you weren't the only one for that. Obviously, like the kids are growing up, <laughs> the actors are growing up, and Cindy in particular. Um, that was a wig. You can't tell me anything different. She's definitely wearing a wig. I'm not surprised by that. And I'm um, accept it. they're definitely like trying to de-age her as much as possible. Because I imagine like this. This is the last thing they probably think they're going to make for the Brady Bunch. And uh, when they started, quite a few years beforehand, Cindy was very little. And now we're looking at a girl that I swear to God, like, she's got to be at least 10. And they're trying to age her down to be like a six-year-old. It's just not working for me. Then we go to Jen, who, uh, I don't know how old Has the actress Has had braces is. for the last 30 years? Right. But the actress has got to be like 16 at least. She's got to be more than that, probably. Well, yeah, something like that. And I she's do. like, Dad, can I sit on your lap? 
full body throws herself in. I know, she was the size of him. Okay, and then they get in the car and they're going to go shopping or whatever. And she's like sitting on his lap again, like in the back. She's in a dress during that scene, too. And that's pretty awkward for like a a teenage girl to be sitting in your lap in a dress and she's not your daughter. Whether that was your real daughter or not. It's like, ooh, this is getting a little weird. That's that age where it's very inappropriate. This is weird. I'm going to pause for a second here. Uh, the Naked Gun? I'm sure you've seen that. I've seen Naked Gun, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the full body condom sexy. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that. That's that's what I'm I'm sorry. I was imagining something entirely different. I also was because I thought it was more hazmat suit than condom. You did say hazmat suit, and I think that's what threw me off. Oh, okay. On, on your point of, like, awkward sort of... So, so like, they keep lampooning the Jan is, like, the ugly, unattractive, unappealing, Clearly not she's good. not. And they're yeah. trying to do that. Yeah, they're I very much that. pushing that. And it's weird to me that, like, she has... Again, I pointed this out while we were watching, but she has, like, a six-pack, basically. She has, like, the lines. I mean, she's defined. She's, like, she's a... She's a very physically active woman, it would appear. Mm-hmm. And then we get fucking Marsha over here who does not have that. And I get that she's, like, the classically attractive woman or whatever. But I'm like, I mean, I don't know, man. Why couldn't Marsha, like, done a couple more exercises and get herself, like, on par? Really with get her? herself ripped in the modern well, sense of the word? All I'm saying is they only play up Jan's, like, awkwardness by the braces, the way she acts, and her and the fact distinctive that the- walk. I, I will say... Marsha shits on her the whole film. The whole film, the yeah. whole Out of all of the b plots though jan has the best b plot aside from the incest one like the incest b plot is the most like i can't take my eyes off of this that's the main plot yeah it's, and, it's and effectively yeah so, so the main b plot is the fact that they got to go, go to hawaii to save Carol. No, 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 that's that's the main plot that is the active a that's the a plot we are everything is being driven by this like guy who came to the house and he's kind of like an outsider and we find out that he's actually an outsider and he was conning us and now we have to go to hawaii to save carol that's the A plot. That is what's driving all their actions the entire film. The B plots are just the stuff that's happening in between, and absolutely, the best B plot is the incest one because it's just so wild. Like, holy fucking shit. And then the, the second best one, I think, is... George Glass. George Glass and Jan, and the, this movie really does embrace absurdist comedy. Like, just, we're gonna do the wild, wacky thing and not explain it at all and not try to, like, harp on it at all. It's just happening. I brought a mannequin to the coffee shop and... Pretended he was a grown man and everybody just accepted that that was, oh, this is like performance art. I don't even think they needed to have that in it. Like, if the people. They could have just done it, yeah. Yeah, if the people. And they applauded at the end? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, they applauded at the end. They applauded. So I like the fact that they keep on bringing up how progressive the world's gotten at this point, where they're like, you don't have to tell us that that's not your wife. We're very, we're accepting of even gay marriage here in Hawaii. And they say that, and they're like, uh, you, well, your wife said she wanted to be gay. And it's like, we all want to be gay. Yeah, like the, the, I get the, Literal words being said are like, hey, we're, you know, politically correct now. But the way that they're responding to it, like, why would you tell this guy claiming to be this woman's husband that she wants to be gay? Why does she need to know that? Or why does he need to know that she said that? He doesn't. You can just... Yeah, I get that it's for the sake of the joke. <laughs> I, I get that, the, that there is some uh, probably demeaning aspect. You mentioned that the nunchuck scene was like perhaps a little bit uh, like racially insensitive, but like it barely. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the problem with it is, is like this is supposed to, the joke here isn't that like Asian people sound silly when they're doing kung fu. I think the joke is dads sound silly when they're pretending to be cool in front of their kids. Yes. Oh, hey, look, I've traveled around the world. Oh, show me some of the cool stuff you traveled with. Oh, well, nunchucks. I got these totally authentic nunchucks. Yeah. And it's like, you know, for sure that like yeah the, the joke's supposed to be that he got this at like duty free store or something like that it, let's even say that maybe he did get them while traveling even sure still fine but like I do think the humor comes from 
a dad trying to impress his kid, and he's like, well, show me how to use them, and he just starts making the silliest noises possible that are very much... Those, like, the noises are specifically the part that's, like, those, those are racially insensitive, but yeah. I don't think the movie was getting at... Or yeah. at least maybe, is this the point you're trying to make, that the movie was not being racially insensitive to Asians, but the fact that, like, dads being goofy could, in their own way, be racially insensitive? Yeah, like, the, the stereotype of dads doing type stuff like that is typically racially insensitive, but the movie wasn't being racially insensitive. It was just portraying a factually accurate depiction of what a dad would do if he was like, I picked up these nunchucks for you, son. Oh, show me how to use them, dad. Okay. And a dad would be sort of over the top and silly about that instead of like trying to be like, hey, you need to be respectful of the culture that these like represent and don't just go around making these wacky ass. A dad would not say those things. A dad probably should, but in realistic, like especially like, you know, 1990s or 1970s. If you're giving your kid a weapon that no point in time are you telling him the sensitivities revolved around yeah. that weapon's origin I, I don't know any like dad who taught his like son how to use a bow and arrow for hunting and that was like hey this is like a cultural artifact for many different uh, cultures and you should be sensitive to that and learn more about how this so, like hey history <laughs> before you shoot the arrow make the arrow make sure you pat your mouth and make make a that is much more likely where the dad would be like yeah you got to do your wah-wah noises before you shoot the arrow you know haha because it's a native american thing and only native americans ever had bows and arrows that is much more likely that like just over the top radically like insensitive but like i'm trying to be goofy and silly for my son type of thing which is like endearing in its own right but also very like God, this whole this whole movie made you do that because like, I constantly go, oh, did you see what they did? Like, you did that at like several points in the movie. And I'm just like, yeah. Oh god, I can't believe I didn't. So I mentioned this on, on the other episode where I'm like, incest. The, the movie's about incest. And you're like, <laughs> no way. And you're like, I can't believe that I didn't play it up enough to be like, no, this is uh, that's what the movie's about. And um, very in your face. Uh, you, it's you, not, it so, is not a subtle thing. As I recall, basically the way you described it was the guy wants to move out on his own, but the dad won't let him, so he ha- allows him to move into, like, the attic. And then the daughter's like, hey, me too, we're the same age, I should be allowed to move up there as well. They move in to the attic together, and the guy's kind of like, oh, I'm noticing that my sister's a grown woman at this point, and she sort of notices the same thing. And it's, like, really incestuous, basically. And I'm like, oh, come on, it can't be that bad. Like, I get... You know, <laughs> now that in, in my mind... In my it mind, can't be that bad. All of my liberal college film studies learning has, like, infected you at this point. And you're like, oh, there was a scene where, like, you know... It were, meant... There was, there was a wave crashing on a rock, and it meant they fucked. And it's like, oh, all right, well, you know, maybe you're stretching it on this one. Not every rain means baptism, James, but <laughs> I appreciate what you're going for. No, they, they fucked. <laughs> oh, no, James. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I severely underestimated just how accurately you could figure that shit right the fuck out. I'm so sorry for mis- mischaracterizing your assessment. So you keep bringing up throughout the movie that, like, the director knows what they're doing because there was a couple of scenes specifically... Well, actually, I like the first scene from a director's point because they had just gotten over Mike Brady's, like, and a house with the glue and the glue in the house and I'm an architect. And, like, and he went on for his, his monologue. And then uh, and then Roy shows up and not only does Miss Brady fall over in shock with the cross-eyed, like, as is wont to do in the 70s, the house of cards falls down. Because, like, uh, the whole time that House of Cards is up, in the back of our heads as viewers, we're thinking, when is this going to fall over? Because that's what, right? That's what... That's what House of Cards are made... They are made to fall over. Yes, absolutely. So, the whole scene, there's this weird tension where you're like, 
oh, they're, they're going to do it. They're gonna, and they, they play with that a little bit. With the bracelet. And the yeah, but by the time Mr. Roy shows up, the, the fake uh, ex-husband, we've kind of forgotten about it. Because it hasn't been on screen for a little while. Sure. And when it cuts back to her and her response, and uh, Mike is like, Carol? And she's like, <gasps> and falls over, and then it falls down. And you're like, this was done so well. This is probably one of the better portions of the film. Oh, the best line in the film. I'm getting... What was I'm it? tripping with the Bradys. I'm tripping with the Bradys. And I'm just like, that's the one. That is the number. That's, that's the, the goal. top of the mountain. The only other time I remember you saying something about the director was uh, when they're flying. It's like, and Hawaii was made by volcanic eruptions. Like, I forgot my beret. And California was made by tectonic <laughs> plates. And the plane flies backwards. No, no, no. They take the same footage the that same they already clip. had, and they just play it in reverse. You want to talk about saving money in a film? <laughs> no. <laughs> the top of the mountain is, is exactly that example. We'll just play it backwards. It's just as good. It's just as good. It makes the point we're trying to make. Like, oh. why would we have the... Oh. By the way, if you were to do it any other way, if you were to be like, okay, well... Now we're playing the clip forward, but it's reversed, so it's flying forward backwards. Do you think that makes less of a good point? I don't think I don't care about the point. The joke is what matters, and I think this joke is strictly better than if they were just sort of like to I, flip it and go back. I think it would instead be of right to left on the screen, they go left to right on the, the screen. Same footage. It's the same footage, but with the fl- the plane reversed. I think it would have been maybe better if they had done the, the like a scene transition where they flip the shot, and then it's just the same shot but moving oh, that, that way. That would have been good. Yeah. Uh, Instead of like, you know, because there's different ways to transition a scene. You can fade out, you can fade in, you can can, do all kinds of stuff. But like, you can actually take the shot and flip it like that and like actually have it seen that way. And I think if they did that, it might have been more funny, but I very much like it. That would have been fun. I think it would, you know, I think considering most of this film is taking shots at the meta of why the Brady Bunch is funny, I would have appreciated it more. I would have appreciated it. Because those kinds of like shitty scene transitions are very normal in the 70s, but not anymore. They're kind of a dead art form. Can I tell you the stupidest joke in the movie that I actually kind of What'd you like? Let's let's hear it. (laughs) Marsha's getting laid by those Hawaiian boys. Oh, brilliant. (laughs) Five Hawaiian boys. That that joke is so much better, and I really wish they had set it up a little bit better, but it's it's still very, very good. Because they reference menage a trois so much in the film. (laughs) If it had been specifically two Hawaiian dudes, like one on one end of her, one on the other... And then somebody had made a menage a trois reference. Or even if they had just... Because the the whole point is that, like, it starts off with menage a trois. Like, I think that's French for, you're the most. And so even if they had just, like, casually, slightly tied it, it was like, he's getting laid by the two Hawaiian boys. They cover as they're like, you're the most. And then cut off that. What if they had, instead of saying, she's getting laid by the Hawaiian boys... Instead, she said, "She's with those two Hawaiian boys. They must think she's the most." Oh, that's also good. Oh, fucking bravo! That that's good. Have, that might have been the move there, but I, I do like the laid bit. It's right there. I mean, or, yeah, maybe, we're, maybe we're already she... making crude jokes where it's like, "Oh, I'd like to get a hold of something, Mister Brady," and he's holding a carrot. Like he has no reason to be holding the most massive carrot. It, it, it would have been also. Oh, I do love that they picked a big carrot for him because, like, he was already munching on like carrot sticks that yeah. Alice had cut up, and he, he, he was holding the. The most honking carrot. The meatiest of carrots. I, I do think the joke could have been done if they were like, oh, she's with those two Hawaiian boys. They must think that she's the most. And then it's like, the menage a trois three, and it's two boys and her. And then when she came back, somebody could have been like, how did you like getting laid? And that could have included the laid bit that we want to have right. so much. And, not and still left the slightly yeah. smart joke. Or even reverse. 
earth she can come back look look at my legs i got the most i got two i got laid twice by those hawaiian boys i must be the most oh i have more lays than all there's of you so i must be ways. the most something yeah there's there's, there's know, a lot of options it's here. a dumb joke as it it's is. a dumb joke but they've already but they've so already done the joke it. twice the fact there's that no reason so as a matter much... of fact they could have done it a third time and it would have been fine it would have been more than fine to 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 bookend this really quick just to put the last nail in this coffin it was five boys instead of two and that bothered me because so much setup has been put into this menage a trois bit right i wanted it to get that juicy payoff and we could have we could have could have i like that they were able to poke fun at how mr brady had delivered his morals all throughout the brady bunch and then in in the movie they don't take it seriously it's just rambling nonsense when the when the gift the giver gives the give e gives grief yeah, you got it. Okay, okay. I see what you're yeah, doing here. Yeah. I do think that uh, there were a couple of characters that, like, obviously the worst B plot is the the youngest kids, Cindy and yeah, what, what a I waste. Remember, not very well used. It feels very much like every time they're on screen, I'm like, get over, get done with it. Come on, move along. It's um, a list. I don't, I don't think it's that. No, uh, there were times. Fake list. I, I really think it's the it's the fact that like, all right, what are we gonna have them do? Uh, we're gonna have them casually move the plot along. They're like, yeah, yeah exactly. The, the statue, the statue is at the antique store, and then they do a bit like, here's twenty dollars, whatever. Go get, go to the yeah, cool <laughs> job. And then uh, later on, it's like, I found the doll in the garage, and it's like. But I've found the photo that proves that Roy is a shaman, and it's like, all right, cool. We get it. We got to start moving here, so we'll start moving here. One more thing I got to point out that I really liked is how Roy was with the kids, and he was fucking blunt and honest. Oh, how he gave the worst advice. No, like, I thought was also stop whining. Stop like, whining and be a man. I would have never made it at the big house. Or he's like, oh, uh, oh, Jan. The the only way you'll ever get a boyfriend is if you make one up. So there were times where he does do the, like, kind of, like, a good dad thing, where he's kind of like, well, tell me about this other girl, maybe we can, like, I, I can understand her better if you explain her to me. That's a good dad thing to do, try to understand the, the woman he's trying to talk about, understand the type of relationship he he, is, he has with her and the type of relationship he's trying to make with her. That's a good dad, dad thing to do. But the bad dad part is when he's like, oh, she's too good for you, you should probably date a librarian or something. She's too fast for you, whatever the fuck he said. That's the bad th- dad thing to do. Uh, I think, I, I don't know, it feels like Mr. Mr. Brady, uh, Mike, would have done a better job with that one. I'm sure Mr. Mike Brady would have done a better job. I don't think they would have come to a different conclusion. I think that for the sake of the formula of Brady Bunch, it would have been like, you're right, Dad. I'm, I'm glad we had this talk. And then as soon as he leaves, I'm going to make up George Glass. That's actually a good question. Because it seems like some of these could be like the sitcom thing, where it's like we have an episode for a sitcom, and it's just Jan going to Mike and saying, hey, I want to have a boyfriend, blah, 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 whatever she says. And then him saying something that inadvertently makes her think, I should make up a boyfriend. His convoluted back-ass words, like, moral story, like, definitely would have led to him being like, you're right, I should date somebody else so I forget my sister. And it would have come naturally in the space inside the Brady Bunch. And I I love that they, I really do feel like they came to the same conclusion that they would have come to, even though Roy is just like... Fucking get over yourself, kid. You know, like, whatever. Just make up a boyfriend. You're not going to have a real one. It's it's the same thing that would have likely happened either way, but just presented to you as, like, shitty dad words right. saying it. Because all, all these bits that they have, I do think reference something in the Brady Bunch history where they're like, a horse in a house? 
Mom would never let us happen. I am almost positive that we could go through Brady Brunch filmography find an and, and find an episode where they're like, we've got a horse. Do you think Mom will let us cave in? I'm yeah. like, we got to hide the horse from our mom in the bedroom. That sounds like a very Brady Brunch thing to do. I'm not going to lie, James. I think that that's just the better version of what we actually have. I'm sure if we found the episode with the horse that they're referencing here, it would just strictly be worse than what you described. Ooh, so I mentioned one point. Like, I, I kind of made a side crack about beating a dead horse. Do you think that's why the horse was the MacGuffin? Hmm. Oh, I think that horse has Do you think been this was... in the Brady Bunch for, like, all their episodes. Wouldn't I think that that's nice? always been there. Okay. And so they had to come up with a backstory for the horse? Yeah, I believe so. So hold on, hold on. Do you believe that I believe based that. on any actual evidence that you have? On vague memory. Okay, so basically none, right? <laughs> basically. Because yeah. you could have a vague memory. I always thought they had a green car, and it's... No, it's always been red. Like, you know, like, that's the kind of vague memory we're working with here. I think that the movie... Do you think that the movie tricked you into thinking that it had always been there, even if maybe it wasn't? I mean, it very well could have. My heart tells me that was always part of the film set. But do you think that the movie tried to push you to think that in any way? I'm coming to that conclusion. Do I think that the movie made me feel that yeah maybe i mean it kind of does right like it, it sets that up like man it feels I, like it belonged there the whole time yeah like they, they say that at the beginning where they're like i wonder who would have this whoever they have must have or whoever, they, whoever they are must be really interesting people and then it just cuts to the horse in the brady family house and then it cuts to the brady family theme song and it's like get it because it's at their house it's always mm-hmm. been there and that's kind of i think that's kind of the implication they're making there and it and it does work right it, it sort of tricks you right it does can I also point out something ridiculous that's mm. just kind of common to me? Mrs. Brady's husband. She believes him to be dead. He's probably dead. And then we get the nice Gilligan's Island reference later on down the line, which is kind of funny. She's totally willing to take the last thing that she got from her husband, which is this horse sculpture, and just fucking like donate it to her women's charity, whatever. She just doesn't give a crap, does she? That's nope. kind of messed up. And that's the weird thing, because I agree. I think the movie is trying to say that. But, like, then when he's... I'm alive, apparently. She has all these weird reservations about, like, telling him she doesn't want to be with him and wants to be with the family she's been with for however many years now. And... <laughs> it's it's trying to it's trying to see her as tying back to these moral values where, like, I married yes. him. I, I told him that I would love, honor, and obey him. Ooh, that, that line. Uh, oh, yeah. And if he says, I'm taking you and the kids... Hey, that's the third thing I said. That is the third thing. The, the most problematic of the things. I do love, that is probably the best part of this movie, is how often they're just like Brady Bunch superpowers. Sometimes it's a benefit and sometimes it's a detriment. She needed to tell that man she needs a divorce and the word could not come out of her mouth. She needed to get a haircut and she got the exact same haircut, even though they clearly did not Even though they chainsawed that. and bleached it? Yeah. yeah. They like bleached her hair and did all this different stuff and like really, they were like, and it came out exactly the same. They didn't even curl the back end of it or nothing it just it was perfectly in the same shape as it always has been just stuff like that throughout the film oh god remember when they were just packing lard into that meat oh my god god how 70s was that mm. because like I, I think like around that time it was like crisco was a big thing because it was synthetic lard or like healthier lard by the way i just want to i wanted to find if the Brady Bunch had that horse, first off, they did have the horse. Earlier that same year, Alfred Hitchcock had that horse in a movie. During the Brady Bunch scene, they had the horse. That same fucking horse was everywhere. That horse is important to somebody. It's all from the same studio, obviously. They've just repurposed it for several sets. I think Ashley is saying exactly what I would say here, and that is that, yeah, when you have like a major studio that owns the set and owns the production and everything, they are going to be like, in order to save money, let's see what we have that the studio already owns and I'm sure. lying around. Right. And they just... 
borrow around and use them for whatever reasons they need to use them. I'm sure that Brady Bunch house, like I'm sure that same floor layout was was probably used in many movies. I just I wanted to I wanted to make sure that it was in the Brady Bunch, which it was. But then people were like, hey, it wasn't just in the Brady Bunch; it was in everything. I'm glad to know I'm not crazy. There is a movie that uses the uh, what is it? The Ghostbusters like uh, the little the, the hearse. The little tool that they have that they use to, like, the spectrometer or whatever Oh, it is. sure, okay. That thing is used in, like, a bunch of other films. Just Tracking because various Like, phenomena. as what? Whatever. Yeah. Literally anything. It could be a, a Geiger counter. Sometimes it could they, be a... they, they'll put it on top of a microwave and say, no, this is a radio. Yeah. Because look mm-hmm. at the weird thing on top. That's not a microwave. Microwaves don't have that. Oh, yeah, okay. It's a special radio of some kind. You know, sure. sure. Anything. That's the cool thing about like film is we like to think like, no, what they're doing here is they're trying to make us look as much like real life as they can. No, they're not. They're trying to make money. <laughs> they just need to convince you that it's a thing. That yeah. it's anything. Yeah. That- if they can pass it off on you, they did their job. Even if somebody is smart enough to say, no, come on, that ain't right. That's just that one asshole. I mean, we thought that those were mushrooms because when we think of like psychedelic mushrooms, they're little dried mushrooms like in a baggie. Like those could, those could literally have been dried shiitake mushrooms or Almost anything else. Or anything It could have not been mushrooms at all. That bag of tea that you brewed before this episode, that could have very well been the same shit that they had in that bag. There are times where they'll do that, though, where they'll, like, pull up a bag of oregano and be like, oh, look, it's a bag of... And say anything other than oregano, right. and you'll be like, that's oregano. I know what oregano looks like. Stop saying that that is, like, right. you know, anything else. <laughs> if you're just trying to save money, and you're like, well, what are the chances that somebody will sit here and be, like, a chef or whatever and think, like... I know what oregano looks like. Even aside that, there's a there's a word for it. Where it's like suspension of disbelief. Yes. Where it's like I need to be willing to accept whatever whatever I'm being pitched. If I if I'm sitting here and I'm like, do you really think that they didn't have any familial struggles with the fact that these were two fully different families? They came and like it's the Brady Bunch. Of course, I'm willing to accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, they do this a lot with uh, especially you, modern like film criticism and modern like film goers are really shitty about this. Probably because of YouTube and how many YouTube channels have made an entire living off of like shitting on movies let's and poking just, holes. Yeah, let's just point out whenever this doesn't like add up perfectly or whatever. And some of them lie about it wholesale. They'll just be like, this is a plot hole. No, it's not. They explained it five minutes ago. Like they told you why this is here. Some of them are like a little bit more legitimate. Like for the Prometheus film where like the, the doctors t- or the, like imagine they would be doctors. A doctor of like geology and a doctor of like astrophysics and sure. shit like that. All of these different like heads of their field, smartest people who have ever lived probably are out here just going to this planet and taking their helmets off and everybody is like that i can't watch this movie it ruins all of my immersion because these smart people are taking off their helmets on an alien planet and i'm like yeah okay fine if that ruins your immersion i'm not here to tell you like no it doesn't i I know that the entire world has told you like uh they've got like the the hundred tips for uh for an evil genius or something like that whatever it's called where they're like uh don't monologue just kill the guy. I'm sure there's a similar list where they're like, if people are dying around you, wear a helmet. Never take the helmet off. And I'm sure that's canon for us as humans at this point. We're like, if I was on another planet and I had a helmet on and I saw somebody die, I wouldn't take the helmet off ever. I just, I just don't think a lot of people like to frame it as if like, oh, if my immersion is ruined by literally anything that makes the movie bad. And I disagree so wholeheartedly. And I get that, like, maybe it's bad for you. Like, if, if your immersion's ruined, I understand why that makes the movie watching experience not as good. But for most people, that's not, like, immediately, like, a thing that they're thinking of. Most people have the suspension of disbelief. Most people are willing to be like, oh, they took off their helmets because they felt secure. Like, they did all the science necessary to feel like they could take off their helmets. And maybe these people are just optimists. They, they were able to breathe, weren't they? Like, surely that's... 
That's what they think the helmets are for. Like, you don't, you don't know who designed these helmets. That could be a fishbowl on his head, and as soon as anything tries to crack it, it'll crack. There, there are a million reasons to believe that this is an acceptable choice to make, and basically only one reason to believe that it's not, and that's, like, your very own personal feelings of, like, this ruined my immersion. I saw you. the last movie, and the guy without a helmet got killed first. Yeah, or, or I'm just a skeptic or whatever. Whatever reason, but, like, I'm not saying that that doesn't ruin the movie for you. If it ruins the movie for you, it ruins the movie for you. But that does not mean that the movie is objectively bad. There are they certain, they like, didn't strictly skip over something and be like, they could have fixed that. They could have had them keep the helmets on, and it would have been a good movie like that. No, because, like, still, like, if you wanted the alien to kill the guy, he'd just kill the guy. Yeah. He could have a helmet on, and it would still kill him. It doesn't mean anything. It's How fine. much further do we take this trope where it's like, well, you know, he had the helmet on, but then he got stabbed in the back, so now he's got a suit made entirely of helmets. The man just wear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Yeah, and, and, and out of all the reasons to say that a movie is, like, quote-unquote, objectively bad, that's probably one of the worst ones. It ruined my immersion for this one choice that I don't agree with. Can you can you pick a better reason? Like, oh, the, the plot wasn't very good, or oh, the characters didn't have good development, they never changed throughout the film. These kinds of reasons I'm much more willing to accept than things like, he took his helmet off and I wouldn't do that in that situation, or I wouldn't even think a scientist right. would do that in that situation. Well, so, immersion really bothers me as a word outside of certain video game stylistic choices. Like, I understand in certain video games are like, we wanted you to be immersed, so we got rid of the HUD. But the movie is is presenting its story to you, and you're, like, accept it or don't. Like, you can be like, I, it broke my immersion because when I looked to my left, there was a window. Um, I could see out of my damn house. Like, <laughs> you can say anything you want, really. I feel like in any media, you're obligated to have a certain amount of suspension of disbelief. I think that's a given. I, I, I 100% was, agree. I was reading uh, A Clockwork Orange, and my immersion was ruined because I realized it was a book. <laughs> it was words in front of my stupid face. That stuff wasn't really happening in front of me. <laughs> It was just my stupid brain coming up with it. So, yeah, I, the suspension of it, I think that's something that's absolutely supposed to be given. Frankly, I enjoy when people play around it. I enjoy when a joke in a movie is specifically around the fact that this is happening in a movie. Oh my I God. enjoy, <laughs> if, I, if I go to a stage play and somebody, as a part of uh, immersing the audience, that, you know, you're, you're watching Shakespeare, whatever the fuck, and some guy was like, uh, hey, Juliet! From, from, like, the back of the fucking actual audience and and he goes running through the aisles and it's like that's fun and the fact that they thought to do it it's not like that's bullshit he wasn't on the stage at all like (laughs) (laughs) once he left the stage it ruined my yeah i I feel like someone could absolutely do that with the brady bunch sequel and just be like well but the planes don't fly in reverse like that it ruined my immersion (laughs) and i'm like that's the bit that is a gorgeous bit to have or your version of the bit where it flips around backwards that's beautiful for, for a movie that is basically making meta-commentary about everything that happened in the 70s, like, I think it's brilliant, and, uh, God, immersion is just... It pisses me off when that's the complaint. Yeah. Because it does feel very flimsy once you start saying, like, oh, it ruined my immersion. I'm like, everything about it should ruin your immersion. It's it's a movie. Uh, right. These things... They're going out into space and, like, landing on a foreign planet. Like, that just doesn't really happen anymore. There's so many things here that you could ruin your immersion on. The thing that, like, blasted your butt off was... They took their helmet off. They're the smartest people ever. They did all the yeah. science necessary to say, you can take your helmet off if you want to. And then they did because, wouldn't well, hold on. If you're in that situation where another scientist is like, I've done all the science, we can take our helmets off. And you're like, oh, I don't know, no. But we'll be the first scientists to ever take our helmets off on a foreign planet. I don't know, man. I feel like somebody's immersion is going to get busted wide open here. If I do this, it better not ruin anyone's immersion, but okay, I'll do it. And then, you know, you take your helmet. Being the first person to do that must feel like 
really fucking good in that like pride center of your brain where you're like, oh, I could be the first person to do a thing. Yeah, I'm going to go for it. You're basically Neil Armstrong and uh, the other guy that was with him. But like way really better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there's, a, there's a scientist, a Neil Armstrong was the strictly better option when I'm about to share the story that I had. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, we'll, we'll cut it. We'll cut yeah, it. yeah, for sure. Um, there's, a, there's a scientist that absolutely believed that a certain bacteria caused stomach ulcers. And they were like, no, that's ridiculous. We're not going to give you funding for like testing and all that shit. And so he swallowed this bacteria that caused, he believed caused stomach ulcers. Wouldn't you know it, caused stomach ulcers. He took the thing that killed that bacteria specifically, stomach ulcers went away. He did that to his damn self. How cool would that be if you're like, I not only determined the cause of a disease, I cured it all within my own body. Medical science has some of the most interesting characters to have ever lived. Like the guy who like, cured polio and was just like, I'm not going to patent this. Everyone can just have it for free. Or like the guy who invented surgery. His brother, who looked very much like him, it was Barber, which meant he was also a doctor. Because that's how that worked at the time. Dr. Barber in the uh, uh, Marvelous Misadventures of Gumball or whatever. The Flapjack. Brilliant. The fact that what they a had a doctor. Character. The fact that they had a Dr. Barber. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're, that's what they're referencing. That's what they're, yes. And, and so this guy... He's the brother of a Dr. Barber, believed that bloodletting was not the way to do medical science. He was like, this is stupid. I don't like it. I'm going to investigate this on my own time. And what he would do, because you were not allowed to do this, he would sneak into graveyards and rob the, the graves of people and then perform surgery on these dead bodies, basically. And when they got better? Well, they didn't get any better. Oh. <laughs> um, <but> like, <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> he, he, he would do this, and they if the police ever caught him, he'd be... Fucked me up. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. Witchcraft, shit like that. Um, you didn't open the bodies back then. Oh, and that's also very, very true. Yeah, it was completely taboo to do that. But one day when his brother called out sick from his barber doctor job, he just showed up for him without any permission or nothing and performed surgery on people without their consent, basically. He would basically be like, yep, this is what the new medical thing is. All the doctors are doing it, and I'm a doctor, so, you know. And they'd be like, yes, of course, doctor I've seen here before. You look just like him, so of course. And they'd let him do it. And he invented surgery that way. Did they get better? No, they all died. The, the oh. dead people remained you know dead is, is the bit I was getting Still at. a better story than the Brady sequel. I thought you were going to say Shut up! <laughs> Shut the fuck up right now! <laughs> if somebody had performed surgery in this movie, I would have lauded them. I know in the last um, episode, we everybody was like... They could cut out everything that wasn't the incest portions of the movie. No, that was the best portion of the movie. <laughs> no, I'm saying everything that wasn't that. You're right, that you're right. We should, we should stick, strictly stick to the uh, very Brady it sequel, Stepbrother Porn. It works for porn. It works for movies. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make an indecent proposal to the two of you. I'm not doing Stepbrother Porn with you. I've been waiting for you to ask. I know you have. <laughs> we just have to get him in on it. What I'm asking you is, we need to, obviously, I need to, you know, get my feet wet on directing. You know, you guys are pretty good actors. Would you mind <laughs> pretending to be brother and sister in a film where we just do the Brady Bunch thing and have you guys explore this awkward... If we, if we push this limit to the limits, if, if whatever the fuck they did there... No, 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 we're, we're going to show the actual But we're going to show Jesus' here. actual tits. My act, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and you know what? It's still going to be a better movie than um, Samurai Cop. <laughs> God damn it. 
Well, so I'm on. never bringing you back on this podcast. We we talked about this in the last episode where everybody wanted to give like an actual score for Samurai Cop. I know that uh, James specifically was like, do you think we'll ever do film ratings where we rate a film? And I'm like, I don't want to do that. But you have said that you think this is better than Samurai Cop. And you said Samurai Cop was a 10 out of 10. You said that. You said those words with your face. So are you saying that the Brady, a, a very Brady sequel is better than Samurai Cop? Or are you saying that a film in, heavily inspired by a very Brady sequel, only the B-plot of the two oldest children, starring the two of you, would be a better film than Samurai Cop? That'd be that the best film ever. That'd be the best film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, and probably reasonably cheaply, we could hire uh, two actual porn stars who have starred in, like, stepbrother, stepsister type porn. And just tell them to put on tie-dye jumpers? Hey, just read these lines. They're not very well written, but just read them. And they're like... Whenever you get through these... if At at any point during these lines, you feel like fucking, please fuck, and then return to the lines. Yeah. That's all we gotta do. The only requirement of this shoot is that you guys fuck at some point, and you read absolutely all of these lines. That's it. Yeah. And uh, I think we might be able to get that done for pretty cheap. Sounds phenomenal. I'm, I'm, I'm heavily... I'm willing to walk up and down this neighborhood and be like, listen, I'll knock on doors and be like, no Jehovah's Witness, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Please hear me out. <laughs> I need funding for a very special film. I either need funding or if you've got anybody that looks like they could be your stepsister. <laughs> Start out with, have you ever seen the Brady? <laughs> How familiar are you with modern pornography? <laughs> <laughs> That's question number two. <laughs> And they're like, I know exactly where you're going. That was my favorite movie. I'll get my coat. <laughs> you know what? I don't need it. I'll, I'll leave all my other clothes, actually. <laughs> I'll just wear the coat. Where do you live? Next door? Let's go. <laughs> the first house we check is just like, oh, oh, absolutely. They're like, I'll grab my wife. I'm like, no, 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 no. I need somebody that looks like they could be a stepsister. <laughs> I think you're missing a point entirely. God. <laughs> So, uh, so so what do you think? I, what other films have I recommended for this podcast before? We have we have just the, the one, right? Just just the replacements. Yeah. So far, it has just been the replacements. Do you think this was a better film than the replacements? Oh, absolutely, without a shadow. Hundred percent, one thousand percent. So you kept on lauding the director. Was that in earnest? Where did you actually? Think I had that ne- I had never heard of that director, and it is a, a female director, as far as I can tell, just from the name. I think her name was Arlene. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, that's a rarity. A lot of times female directors don't really get a whole lot of chances. Okay. And with like a well-established franchise, I was, I, was, I was excited for that. So that's why I pointed it out. I was like, oh, you know, what I should have said instead of... I literally just said the name very excitedly. I should have been like, it's a female director. We don't get a lot of those. Is that what you were excited for? The fact yeah. that it was a female director? Stop. And she did a decent or, job. Or the fact that she did a decent job on top of that? I, well, so when I pointed it out, I didn't realize that she had done a decent job yet. All I had seen so far were basically the, the Indiana Jones scene in the beginning. It wasn't like filmed so fantastically that I'm like, this is gonna be fucking amazing. Right. So I didn't think like, oh, she did a good job. I just thought it's a female director and that's something worth celebrating. Now looking back, yeah, she did do a really good job. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this movie's competently made. Did you hear that, baby? That movie you don't like is a good movie. Uh, I said competently made. <laughs> uh, shut up. <laughs> you know what? I think it's rather reductive to reduce anything to good or bad. <laughs> that's, that's very Nothing fair. is objectively bad is what we're walking away with. You know, I, I enjoyed all the references. You know, I am the mom from 1998. Very good. What about that dog scene that yeah, you didn't I get didn't, at all? What's with the dog and the I don't kid? fucking understand I didn't get that one at all. I'm I sure this genie, is something. 
Yeah. I got um, Gilligan's Island. Island. There were more. I'm sure there's something there about uh, Lassie. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe it's a Lassie thing. Yeah, Lassie no wasn't really the thing that, that I did. One. Everybody knows the Lassie go to the well bullshit, but whatever. Lassie wasn't my jam. So maybe it's a Lassie thing. Maybe it's an old Brady Bunch thing. That's I don't yeah. have I don't have a perfect one-for-one one, uh, discography uh, of the Brady Bunch. in that movie, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. RuPaul. Rosie O'Donnell, Jaja Gabor, which is like you don't see Jaja Gabor in anything. Anything. I don't know what the fuck she does for a I living. I don't even know who that is, but she was so ancient in that movie. Is she alive I've, today? I've heard the name. I've heard people I've make only jokes heard about the her. Name. Yeah, I've never like seen her in a whole lot of stuff. Is I yeah, guess I don't, I don't know what she does. Maybe, maybe she's actually married to Rosie O'Donnell, who is a notorious lesbian for the time. Yeah. Um, notorious. Yeah, that's all she's known for, and I don't also know she was in something else. Who was negative? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I guess, but I don't think it has to. Was, she was not in Roseanne? I thought we saw Roseanne no. starred Rosie O'Donnell. Roseanne was not Rosie O'Donnell. Rosie O'Donnell was, you remember the live-action Flintstones movie? She was Barney Rubble's wife. Holy shit. Yeah, you're right. She was. Um, okay, so is there anything else you guys would feel remiss if we did not bring up now? I'm just happy to have shared this moment in history The intricacies of this movie, it's just going to keep me up at night for years. I can't believe it. So we'll watch it again tonight. Oh, God. I just remembered. <laughs> I, I feel like this needs to get brought up. You guys don't have to react to this if you don't want to. What is his name? Greg? The, the oldest boy? Sure. Is it, is it Greg or Jim or something? Whatever. One of those names. The oldest Brady son is voice acted, or is played by the voice actor for the animated Spider-Man cartoon from the 1990s. And that is crazy to me. He sounds like Peter Parker. What if Probably he because he provides the voice. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Like, I just, I just, that was crazy to me. And I, I wanted to bring it up before we left for the day, so. No, that's great. I love when I find out that an actor who was, like, clearly, I, well, in this case, not clearly iconic. I don't remember seeing him in anything you else. You didn't hear that voice and like, it just put chills in your spine? Like, oh, I know. I, this is from something. I've seen this movie, so it's clear. To me, that's he just, belongs in this movie. You're like, that's the voice of the Brady Bunch kid. Yeah, clearly. You know what? Spider-Man got to play the Brady Bunch character. I, I had the I had the backwards version of this because he belongs in this movie and nothing else. But yeah, I don't know. I'd love seeing that type of stuff where it's like, you know, Mark Hamill. It's like, yeah, uh, Anakin Skywalker, whatever. Luke he Skywalker. was the yeah. That's what I said. The Joker. Yep. Did you know he was also? And if you look at his shit, it's like for the past twenty years he's been in every cartoon you ever watched. Oh yeah, he does. And, and the, the worst thing about Mark Hamill for me is that anytime they're like, "All right, we want you to do a villain," he's like, "I'll do the Joker." What flavor of Joker would you like? <laughs> it's like, can you be Skeletor? Yes, Batman. <laughs> yeah. I and I hate it because the Skeletor's original voice actor from the like older cartoon is so iconic that if he just did like the he's Joker, he's so close. He's so close to it because I, the the Joker and Skeletor are not like so far removed that he couldn't like drop an octave and be the be Skeletor. The the, the problem with it is. Sometimes when you're that close to something, even being just a little bit off from it feels like miles apart. Mm. It's like that uncanny valley thing where you're like, this looks really close to what I'm looking for, but it's not exactly it. And I, it makes me feel gross. And that's how I feel about him playing the Joker or him, him doing his voice acting for a villain and specifically doing like a weird version of the, the Joker, basically. Right. It's the Joker with a mustache is, is what he's yeah. playing. He's, he's, he's just Joker, but like slightly more gruff. 
Right. It's like uh, it doesn't really work for me for Skeletor. Right. Um, I'm the Joker with emphysema. But your 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 mileage may vary. Some people, I'm sure, are just like he did a great Skeletor. I just don't feel that way. I yeah no I so I can see it because I can picture the Joker's voice, and if I put it directly on Skeletor, off. But if I picture Skeletor in like the original He-Man cartoon, it's not that far from the Joker. It's really not. I would prefer if I had to make a choice. Between Skeletor doing an impression of Joker or Joker doing an impression of Skeletor, I'd much rather pick Joker or Skeletor doing an impression of Joker. Yeah, no, that's fair. But since you know we we've covered all the good stuff here, let's go ahead and call it a day. That'll be the end of this one. Yeah, no, since since we've now we've now finished the best movie ever made, uh, this will be the last episode. This Everybody. podcast is dead now. It's done. Thanks for coming, guys. <laughs> good hustle out there, boys. Uh, uh, butt slaps all around for everybody. Go ahead. If I'm not right in front of you, give yourself a butt smack. <laughs>